Chapter Three of To London Town. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Lawley. So life went at the cottage. For a little while, they looked for another visit from Uncle Isaac, since as he had sent no postal order, it was felt that he must defer the return of the half-crown merely because he contemplated an early payment in person. But weeks passed, and nothing was heard of him, nor seen. Meantime, the problem of Johnny's trade met no solution. He had left school nearly three months now, and, the thing seeming desperate, he had well-nigh resolved to give in to the post office. At the thought London seemed a far and wondrous place whereto he could never attend, and awe of the terrible list his grandfather compiled from the London Directory became longing for the least inviting trade in the collection. He had his memories of London too, and they were more numerous and more pleasant than Bess's. There he could see, from his bedroom window, the masts of many ships, quite close, in the strong winds, and in his remembered London the weather was ever cold, brisk, dry, and windy. The masts bent and rocked gravely, the ropes bellied, and the blocks whistled aloud. At nights he lay and heard the yards groan and the cordage creak and rattle. Just by the corner, ships sometimes thrust prying jib booms clean over the dock wall, as if to see what a town was like. And often he had stood in the street to watch men climbing the rigging and hanging bent over spars like earwigs. He had gone shopping too, gripping tight at his mother's skirts, in flaring market streets where everybody shouted at once and there were mountains of bullseyes and peppermints on barrows there was a street with shops on one side and a blank wall on the other and over and behind this wall lifted high in the air was the monstrous skeleton of a great ship men swarmed like ants about the skeleton and all day hammers went with a mighty clangour, and great lights flared at night. There were big blank walls at all the places where they made ships, and he could remember a little door in one such wall, a door beyond which he greatly desired to see. But it was rarely opened, and then but a little way, by an ill-natured old man, who squeezed through and closed it very quickly, so that Johnny believed he must issue thus to prevent the escape of some small and active animal imprisoned within. All that Johnny remembered of his father was that he wiped his oily hands on cotton waste, a curious stuff, like a great deal of soft sewing thread in a hopeless tangle that he had never seen since. That and the funeral, when he rode in a carriage with a crape bow pinned to his new jacket, and his mother held his hand 
very tight at the graveside. Most of his memories were of the streets, and some revived after long oblivion, as when the smell of roasted chestnuts brought a vision of a glowing coke fire by the corner of the shipyard wall, with a pockmarked man behind it whom he would know anywhere now. And he was not to return to this place of wistful memory, after all, nor to learn to make a ship nor an engine, let alone a picture. The weeks went, and berries hung where flowers had been. Johnny and Bessie made their yearly harvest of blackberries, some for puddings and jam and home, some to sell at such kitchen doors as might receive them, until an afternoon in early October, when, with an order from a lady at Daydon, they betook themselves in search of sloes. Warm colours touched the woods to a new harmony, and seen from high ground, they lay like flower beds in green and red, yellow and brown. The honeysuckle bloomed its second time, and toadstools stood in crimson companies in the shade of the trees. Sloes were rare this year near home, so the children searched their way through the Wake Valley to Honey Lane Quarters, and there they found their sloes, though few. It was a long and scratchy task, and, when it was finished, they were well up in St. Thomas's Quarters, and the sun was setting. They made the best of their way back as far as the road near the Dun Cow, and there parted, for Bessie was tired and hungry, and though Johnny was little better, he resolved to carry his sloths fresh to Thaden and get the money, since he was already a little on the way. So Bessie turned up the lane that led to the cottage, and Johnny took to the woods again for Thaden, by way to right of Wormington Bits. Dusk was growing to dark, but the boy stepped fearlessly, well knowing his path. The last throstle sang his last even song for the year, and was still. The shadowy trees, so living and so silent about him, the wrestling trunks of beeches, the reaching arms of oak and hornbeam, all struck a gaze as though pausing in their everlasting struggle to watch and whisper as he passed and the black depths between them might well have oppressed the imagination of such a boy from other parts. But Johnny travelled along among them little heeding, thinking of the great ship-haunted London he longed for, and forecasting nothing of the blow that should fall but in that hour, and send him the journey sorrowing. Presently he was aware of a light ahead. It moved a foot or two from the ground, and Johnny knew its swing. Then it stopped, resting by a tree root. You, Grandad, called Johnny, and, Hello, came the old man's voice in answer. The old man had cut a leaf with a caterpillar on it from a shrub, and was packing it in a pillbox. Out for a few night feeders, he explained, as the boy stopped beside him. But you ain't been home to tea, he added. 
taking home the slows, might a left them till the morning, John, easy. Now you've got em. Oh, come up from over there. Johnny made a vague toss of the arm. And I thought I might as well cut across to Thaden first. Bess went up the lane. I'll be home for you now, Grandad, unless you're going back straight. I won't be long behind ye. I'm just going to the pits. I can't make nothing of them I took last night under the brambles and heather. Never saw the like before quite. So I'm going to see if there's more and get all I can. They walked together a few yards till the trees thinned. You'll go. Cross the slade, said the old man. Step it, or you'll be beat. I'll step it, the boy answered. I want my tea. He was trotting home by the lane from Thaden, with his empty basket on his arm, and his hands, and the sixpence, in his trousers' pockets, when he checked a sound, as a cry from the wood. But he heard no more, and trotted on. Probably the deer were fighting somewhere. Rare fighters were the bucks in October. End of chapter 3